Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My dear Reeves, I have just heard from Mrs. Moss, wife of the unfortunate cricketer, who made such a mess of it in Ashburton. She seems uneasy with respect to the possibility of her husband's release. I've written to her, assuring her that I do not think it possible that the authorities could contemplate setting her husband at liberty for many years in all events. It would be most unsafe so long as Mrs Moss is in the colony. October 8, 1893. As to your letter, I don't know what to say. I want so much to do what is right, and that is not plain to see. I am always thinking about you, but I cannot see what to do. Our positions at present are very painful, but the facts have to be faced. I cannot see that the future holds out any bright prospects. I had great faith in you, but it has been thoroughly shaken and can, I am afraid, never be restored. These may seem cruel words. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at The Times. Today, we have a guest. We like guests. And the man joining us in the booth is Michael Wright. Michael is a reporter for the press in Christchurch, New Zealand, and he's flown all this way to join us. No, not really. <laughs> Michael is spending his summer in St. Petersburg with us on the Enterprise team, as part of an international fellowship. He's working on a story that we hope will publish next month, and we might talk about that story at some point. But for now, we wanted to talk about a story he wrote in 2016 about a man named Albert Moss. Today's topic, historical narratives. So Michael, tell us about Moss and his story and why you were drawn to it. Albert Moss was a cricket player um, and I'm where I'm in America, so cricket, just for the purposes of the rest of the conversation, cricket is like baseball. It's about the closest equivalent English game. He was an English cricketer who uh, migrated to New Zealand and was very good. He was a fast bowler, which is kind of like the ace pitcher in a team. He was very successful, um, made the, uh, the representative team soon after he arrived and took all 10 wickets in the game, which is <laughs> a bit like a perfect game for a pitcher, but rarer. It's it's been done twice internationally ever in the history of cricket. Oh, this guy did it locally for his like a provincial team. So he does he does that makes history. Um, gets presented with his ball as a congratulations. You're the first. He's still the only New Zealander ever to have done it, and he was unwell. He was not a he was not a well man. He was in New Zealand because his family had a tubercular history, and he was trying to escape that. His wife had come out to see him, or she, his fiance was uh, coming out to meet him, and they got married in New Zealand. And things just weren't right with this guy. And um, tuberculosis meningitis turns out was the reason. Long, very long story short, he um, attacked her one morning with a hatchet, like a cold breaking hatchet, in the head. Um, then, with his cutthroat razor, somehow she survived and escaped, ran out of the house to see him cutting his own throat on the floor of their kitchen. I think it was. <laughs> Damn. 
somehow they both survive. Um, and he is, there's a sensational trial. This is in Christchurch, which is the city I'm from in the South Island. There's a sensational trial where he is acquitted. He's found not guilty on by reason of insanity, but he is incarcerated in a weird at Her Majesty's pleasure type um, agreement. He's in jail for five or six years, um, gets out eventually on the condition he leaves the country. He ends up in South America and South Africa. Eventually, he's a drinker. He falls off the wagon, um, ends up going to the Salvation Army in South Africa, where he turns his life around, finds God, I think, and um, eventually gets a write-up in the War Cry, which is the Salvation Army um, newspaper that they publish across the world, different editions. And the story goes that his wife, Mary, back in New Zealand, um, saw this. Somehow she saw the South African report of uh, Albert Moss, I forget his adjutant or whatever his rank was, who's turned his life around and found God via the Salvation Army. And a few months later, Albert gets a package in the mail, which is his cricket ball, it turns out, and a note that says, now that, you know, now that I know where you are, I thought you might like this. It's from Mary. And they reconcile. Takes about two or three years, and they remarry, and, and that's the end. And this is all playing out now. What take us? What time yeah. in history are we? It's uh, sorry, yes, I've skipped over a lot of details. This is in the late nineteenth century, so around eighteen ninety ninety one. He takes his wickets, and soon after the um, the attempted murder happens, he ends up in South Africa around nineteen hundred, and I think it's about nineteen fifteen. They reconcile, so it's over about a twenty year period. So you're a reporter in the twenty first century, and obviously you did not follow his career uh, firsthand. Right. So no, I, no I never, I'm a cricket fan as much as you can be. I'd never heard of him. He's, okay. he's not well known in any in any cricket circles, really. So how did you? What? How did this even come up? How, how did, did this come? Up? It came up. I was in the pub and I saw a guy who of I hadn't. Of course, see the best place perfect. to find stories right there. I hadn't. I saw a guy I went to university with, and I hadn't seen him for years. And I saw him go over and say hi. Um, and I'd been at a beer festival that day, so I was a bit drunk. But I said, "Hey man, how you going? Yeah, good, good. How do you?" Um, what do you do? And he said, I'm the curator of the National Cricket Museum. This is my mate. What do you do? And I said, I'm a reporter. And he told me the 30-second version of that story. And I was like, what? How, how, how have I never heard of this guy? What? That's, that's insane. So I emailed the name to myself in the pub that night because I knew I was going to forget. And I saw it on Monday when I got back to work and I... Um, searched. We have this fantastic resource in New Zealand called Papers Past where they're digitising basically all of our old newspapers, um, defunct and current. They're up to about World War Two now. And I just punched this guy's name in and got bang. There were these oh huge... Oh, God, they're searchable too? They're searchable. Oh, they're, wow. It's Jeez. amazing. And um, I found plenty of stories, but um, quite a few court reports from the, the time of the, the attempted murder, obviously. And that had... But all the information you need, not all the information I would have, but enough information to say, yeah, there is, here's a story. This is, this is perfect. And did you, so did you pitch it to your editors as I want to go tell the story of this thing that happened a hundred years ago? Yeah. So I get, I went to like, did you take them to the bar? I, I, I went to the one who I know is a cricket fan as well and said, here's the story. <laughs> that helps. Um, told them the 30 second version and said, I want to do a story about this. And they went. Yeah, they weren't sort of jumping over the desk to embrace me or anything, but they, yeah, yeah, okay. It was fine. I, I was allowed to do it, basically, but I was kind of, yeah, I couldn't just, I'm, I'm going to take a month and write 5,000 words on this guy. But it was, it was yeah, they were, they were okay with it, I think, is the, 
the best way to So did it. you have to keep doing the, your regular stuff and do it on the side or did yeah, they give I you some of, time? I, I probably took my I took the time myself. I'd say I probably did 50% mm-hmm. in my own time. Okay, okay. And Lane, so you've also written historical narratives. Um, tell us a, a little bit about the ones you've done. Most of them might have been tied to like an anniversary of some kind or some event happening. You know, it wasn't just retelling a story. I need, I had a hook or whatever. So I did I did one on um, the ship that crashed into the Skyway Bridge, um, and they found the, this young Coast Guardsman who'd been his very first night at sea ever, 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 and his ship crashed, and 23 of his friends died on this ship, and they were having building a memorial. They were revisiting a memorial for him um, on Tampa Bay. So that was one, and then I did another one about... Um, actually, this one came from my plumber. He's, like, plumbing my toilet and telling me, oh, my God, I just got this email from this this Frenchman who knew my dad on the coast of Normandy on D-Day, and he sent me these letters, and I'm like, wait, stop plunging my toilet. Tell me the story. <laughs> you know? So that was a story about, like, he just found out this stuff about his dad, um, who was very young in D-Day, that his dad had never told him. Um, and then the third one, which was maybe the funnest one, was a, a, almost like a, a haunted house story about a, a gangster named Ma Barker during the Roaring Twenties. And she and her sons holed up in this house up in northern Florida and had the longest shootout ever with the FBI. And uh, they were about to sell this house for the first time, and everybody said it was haunted with the, the ghosts of the Ma Barker family. Jeez. So. Oh, um, when I was at the pilot, we did 10 years' worth of um, historical narratives where we serialized stories every summer, and they became very popular. We did things on uh, 18th century pirates, the spy John Walker, the scientists behind the space program, Nazis attacking, attacking ships along the East Coast during World War II, a um, bunch of different ones, and they always felt like, to me, is when they're done well, they have a, a lot of appeal. So I was going to ask you, what, we got a lot of good reader reaction. What was the reader reaction to this, to, to your story and Lane, to your stories? Um, really good. I, I think most, mostly because it was, it was the perfect story. It, it was all sitting there. The 30-second version I got in the pub was the story, basically. It had right. a perfect was it narrative Was de, de la novela is what it was. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> So when I, when you had that, I kind of knew, even though they were, they were sort of just lukewarm to the idea at the start, I kind of knew that when this came through and I was I finished it, I thought it would be it, it would appeal to people. And um, I think the best sign was that people who hate cricket like the story. It's one of those love hate like baseball. People hate baseball. Right. Well, it was a love story. It was a sports story. It it was a mental illness crazy story. It had everything. It was yeah. It was loosely a sports story, but. That was the way into it, and people, ugh, cricket, no. But it was, yeah, the cricket was ended up being, apart from the ball, it was mm-hmm. a side issue almost. It was just a, a way into a different story. What, what about for you, Lane, and the reaction you've gotten from people? Well, I, I feel like anytime you do a story about a tragedy or like a D-Day event, you get lots and lots of people reminiscing. So yeah. I don't even know if it was reacting so much to the story as, oh, my grandfather and my story about this. Connecting with it on connecting some level. Connecting with it. And, and I also think that the ones that really work are like a sense of place a lot of times. You know, there was a lot about what it felt like to be on the beach at Normandy that day, or what it felt like to be in the haunted house when actually weird things were happening while we were there reporting, too. But, you know, putting people in the sense of place where you can actually imagine yourself back in time. You right. Know, like. I think, too, I mean, I think one of the things that I I always look for and when I'm, somebody comes up and says, I think I have a historical idea, I'm, I'm looking for some modern context. And like we did one on the yellow fever epidemic of 1855, and the reason that it had a modern context was the West Nile virus was was pop, was coming up then. So it was like, okay, if you're going to write about this mosquitoes traveling around the world and creating something, then that gives people 
a feeling of, oh, not that it's going to be that bad, but, you know, that they can relate to it. So I don't know if you guys found, talked about that or you found a thread there where you thought, like, well, love is timeless, of course, and forgetting, like, <laughs> forgiveness. I guess that was the moral of your story, Michael, is like, okay, can you forgive your husband for trying to Baffling kill you? forgiveness, yeah, that was the takeaway. Um, what do you guys like about historical pieces? I don't think we do that much in newspapers anymore. You know, I think that used to be a much bigger uh, uh, segment of our reading, you know, was recreating events. Um, But I I really like being able to transport people to another time, you know, or make them envision where they are or the life they're leading in a different way. You know, I don't think a woman whose husband took an axe to her head in this day and age would go back, (laughs) you know. It's like making you imagine a different time, you know. Um, What about, um, so in terms of, the hurdles. I mean, you were talking about you, and Michael. You were talking about going and having a lot of it laid out in stories, in court cases. Um, I think. I think for me, one of the lessons is there's actually more there than you would think. A lot of the times, when you're looking back and you're trying to find sort of a trail, has that been your experience too? I would say hurdles were because historical was everyone in the story. Was- there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss dead and had been dead for a long time right. so it was it was historical and it was a long way back 120 130 years so there was no one around no really descendants even who could lend anything present day to help help you tell the story so you were relying on archives basically and that was it you had to construct your story from that so things like um, dialogue Mm-hmm. was extremely hard to come come by and gold dust when you found some just to give anything I mean stuff that you might not otherwise you, you know turn your nose up at if it was a present day story you were just like anything that helps me create any sort of scene that a person can be in the room with these people because inevitably as I, I, that was the starting point and inevitably I had to come back from that because you just could not tell the story from the point of view of Albert or his wife um throughout it was not going to work you just didn't have the information to to be able to do that so you had to kind of dip in and out of this how did you find out stuff about her because he was more he was infamous really yeah she was um yeah she she was hard work i I couldn't find a photo of her i know one must be out there she was a teacher for a long time so i was able to trace records of her um teaching i've tracked her down to a tiny little settlement in the very north of the south island close to where um and she had uh, she featured in some local family's memoirs, and there were some memories of her. I think there were some notes about the authors that she liked, and she liked music and things like that. Those sorts of details came from there, and that was as much as I could find. That, that right. was the other challenge was Albert, he'd you know, stood trial. He'd, he'd gone to jail. There were stories about his cricket exploits. You know, you could work with that, whereas she was kind of a – she was a woman in the 19th century. There just right. wasn't – much about it. Did you have to resist the urge to just dump everything you got into the story? Or did you hold some stuff back? Um, I sort of did, although I 
the reason I'm here, basically. I, I employed <laughs> the editing skills of a, a Tampa Bay Times editor to, to help me with this because I, we don't have that sort of culture at home of doing this sort of story and, that, and I wanted it to be good. So I got someone to do that and um, by doing that I was like, okay, I'm going to put everything in here knowing that, you know. She'll take it out. If it's, it's 2,000 you, words, is it going to You want to give her a shout out? Jenny Grinstead, thank okay. you very much. Okay, there you go. It was a whole lot better. Thank you very much. Um, Something so, else you had for that that I think made it really strong, which was back to your story about the yellow fever epidemic too. You had journals from a guy, first person, right. real time for the yellow fever. You had letters, yeah. which were some of the more powerful parts of that story. You know, And I think when you have original source documents like that, that you can hear their voice. Right. You, know, you can actually be inside their head in a way, even though it's long, long, long ago. To me, those are the most powerful parts of historical narratives. You know, I had I had letters, I had old photos, you know, I had FBI reports and photos, you know, and and so any of those documents that actually allow you to, to transport your readers right back to that time and in that person's head—that's what did you call it, gold dust? It's gold dust. That was and that 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 in particular, those letters. There was a bundle of letters. Like I said, there was court reports, which were terribly written, but they were thousands of words long. They were basically just a chronology of every single thing that happened in court that day. Um, so they had all of the detail you could hope for. There was something that this didn't make the final cut, but Albert sitting beside the fire as all the public walked into the gallery, huddled up with his neck heavily bandaged, that sort of detail was in the court stories that were just these impenetrable blocks of text, basically. But Little great. cinematic moments. Yeah, yeah. I was going to um, say, back in the day, wouldn't they have written it more narratively anyway? They, they did, did, but was it was it? like, it was just... Oh. Every every single thing that happened d- down on the page and without any real kind of structure or flow, it was, right. it was all there for me. It was perfect for me because it was just all the information they, they had at the time, basically. But those letters, they came, I rang the archives, our national archives, and found, God knows why, but there was a bundle of correspondence between his lawyers. That was the other element of the story was he had powerful friends. His cricket buddies became the Minister of Justice who was mulling whether or not to release him. Um so there were letters between him and his lawyer friend, who was also his cricket friend, whether or not they're going to release this guy because his wife wants him out, etc. And the letters from Mary to Albert. So those were all evidence in a court file type thing. They were. They weren't part of. I mean, the the, the court documents were there. There was the judge's notes were in there as well, but they were just sort of kept as part of the case of Albert Moss, more or less, Did as a bundle. Did you just do a happy dance when you found that? Like, yeah, I was sort of <laughs> going through archives and I found some records sort of loosely related, can you see what this is? This is in Wellington, I'm in Christchurch, different islands, and they came back with, they scanned a few of these pages and sent them to me, and I was like... Hell yeah. Yeah, can, can, can you send me that? <laughs> can that I have the rest? Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the things that I, I, I have found astounding, how much stuff is actually out there sometimes. And you're right, like the journals and what people put down in their own words, that's, um, we were able to do a yellow fever piece through the minister because he did journaling every day. Like he, you actually, he, he actually chronicled who was dying every day and, and what his emotion was and what he was saying to people and, you know, what his fears were. And so you're able to kind of move through time and that's. Internal dialogue from someone yeah. who's been dead mm-hmm. 150 right. years. That's right. amazing. Yeah. Um, so you, your newsroom kind of went, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Did you did you get them on board? Were they more excited as you went along? Um, yeah, so once the way we work at home, the paper I work for is part of a collection of papers around the country. So when I had the story idea, I went to somebody who was a one step up the chain, if you like, to properly pitch it. And when they said yes, it was kind of directly working with them. So I didn't have to worry too much about um, 
local bosses mm-hmm. and you know what I was going to have to do, except that I was having to fit this. Oh, in you went straight to things. the top. Is that what you're saying? I kind of <laughs> went straight to the direct boss, and when they said yes, I went up to the next one, and uh-huh. that who was the one who was actually going to be you know overseeing this if it uh-huh. was a goer. And yeah, once they said yes, let's do that. There was a, you know a special program we can lay this out with, and you know have these features like letters from wife to husband in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that worked out fine, and yeah. Once they were on board with it, they they still hadn't done that. We hadn't done that many stories that long at that time, and we I think it ended up about five thousand words down from about seven or eight to start. And we don't really have a culture of that. Three to four is kind of our our ceiling. Um, so there was a bit of you know, still a little bit of apprehension, but everyone knew the story was strong enough with the, with the reconciliation at the end that it, it kind of got through. It had the legs to you know, to get over that line. Could you tell on the engagement that people were reading all the way through to the end? Uh, yeah, it was a bit difficult because, like I say, we used a separate layout program to um, present this online. That um, it didn't, it wasn't quite as easy to access the metrics. But yes, mm-hmm. is the short answer. Yeah. So, how do you guys make a, make a choice between an old story and something more current? I mean, what, what? So you were doing yours, Lane, mostly around anniversaries. Yeah, or the news so, of this house being sold. So they had they had a hook. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, I would, I don't, wouldn't want to do one if I couldn't find any original source material. I think that would right. be a bar well, yeah, for yeah. me. You yeah. Know? And there wasn't a character or two to wrap it around. Yeah, most of the well, the ones I've done, I have had a character. You know, the the guy who lived from the shipwreck, the the not Ma Barker and the FBI guys, they aren't still alive. But the guy selling the house became a character. You know, so I tried to find like a modern day person who and then my plumber <laughs> you know who, who could sort of like be a voice in the present to frame the past actually but they weren't I'm not sure they were really characters so much as they were secondary characters do you think you need an anniversary for that sort of story if you've got an interesting event and interesting contemporary characters or some some kind of hook no I'm, other than the date like I sometimes see those stories like we had one Last year, there was a 50th anniversary of the ferry, a ferry disaster. Cook Strait between North and South Islands ran aground, 50 or 60 people died, and it was the 50th anniversary. And we did a really good, one of our reporters did a really good story about it. And I was like, this is just a really good story. It's, a, it's almost a shame in a way that we have to wait for an anniversary to, to sell it to our bosses or the, the readers. Uh, yeah, I don't think you need it, but I think it helps sell it to yeah. your bosses for sure. <laughs> you know, I was actually wondering when I read yours, like, was this during cricket season or was there some kind of cricket finals that had that kind of, you know, sports season hooked to it too? Only a little. I mean, the story had absolutely no <laughs> contemporary relevance other than it was cricket and we still played cricket. And we made a point sort of of running it in summer. It ran over the Christmas New Year period, which is holiday time people have got time to read and it's cricket season it's our summer so uh, but yeah, but other so that, that was part of the contest yeah it, it had a Plus little the epilogue was about the ball so the ball kind of had yeah a, the ball itself current. actually that actually, that was interesting because it came up and I looking looking in the um, in our own archives the ball came up about 10 years ago when somebody almost did as well they took nine wickets for Canterbury not 10 almost um, and the ball came up as this guy they but somehow got skipped over the rest of the story that this guy had taken all 10. So the ball, when Albert died, he um, bequeathed the ball back to the club he played for in Christchurch and said the ball should go to Lancaster Park Cricket Club. And so one of his Salvation Army friends came over a year or two later, this is in the late 40s, and yeah, presented the ball to the club at a ceremony and they said, well, treasure this, thank you, thank you very much. And uh, it sat in a room for 30 years until the Salvation Army guy in New Zealand heard about the story. The Salvation Army had this sort of semi-fictionalised biography of Albert that they put out. So that's a good, you know, it's a good um, 
presentation to give on you know the morals and you know, the power of the Salvation Army, and he, he used it for public speaking. He borrowed the ball from the club and eventually asked if he could use it again, and they were going to throw it out. And so he went. This is in the seventies now, I think, and took it, and it's in his family that they still own it. They're hoping to get it into a museum, but it it does have. Yeah, we still have the ball. I didn't get to hold it, but we have. We have the ball. Does so your that, friend from the Cricket Hall of Fame want it? Yeah, that's what they want. The family, <laughs> the family want to give it to the Cricket Hall of Fame, the Cricket Museum. So um, hopefully, but uh, yeah. so Albert is this like footnote in history for his for his cricket playing, but not his crazy. Well, it's kind of good. Yeah, we start with a bit of cricket at the start, and then we, we, we forget that, and we go into murder and yeah. human human relationships and love and reconciliation, and forgiveness, and then cricket right at the end when the ball the normal nearly disappears and. Uh, finally comes back um so we talked about what you need for this kind of stuff and like i was just going to end on kind of what lessons you guys took away from doing this kind of work and what you feel like you need and you were talking about of course lane like having document a trail something access um you need buy-in of course Mm -hmm. um you need a story that you think is gonna propel people forward right a story that stands the test of time yeah yeah anything else you think that's important I mean, I think it's some, it, it needs to illuminate the human condition somehow. You know, I, I worked with a bunch of Holocaust survivors trying to write their memoirs, and all of them wanted to write about the, the global political aftermath of the Holocaust and Hitler's reign or whatever. And it was like, when you can pull people in to think about the human aspect of these historical events, whether it's, you know, the cricket player and his wife or the mother and her sons who were hold up, shooting up the FBI people, I think the human aspect brings these light, more to life more than anything else. Mm. And when you tie that to something historic, when you can tie it back to yeah, 150 years ago or 70 years ago or whatever, if you can tell that story, like yeah, a human relationship which comes, falls apart, comes back together again, it doesn't matter. And yeah, there's that just that extra twist to be able to, take people back right. 100 years 200 whatever and, and and do it that way so michael says don't wait for the anniversary just do it just do it if you have a good story, story just, do, just it. do it but don't if you want to try one and you can't sell it find an yeah, anniversary, find an anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> okay if you have a question for lane or michael or would like to suggest a podcast topic please email it to write lane at tampa bay.com that's w-r-i-t-e-l-a-n-e at tampa bay.com and join us next week on wednesday morning for the next episode This podcast was produced by Denise Keenan. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.